Yeah. So right now, guys, the podcast is still called Fairly Normal. But I think within the month... Hello, squirrel. What if all the animals just started... Like, it was a Disney you movie. Have a history with squirrels, too, right? I fucking hate squirrels. Yeah, I know. Squirrels, like, got it out for me right now. All squirrels have it out for me. <laughs> Do you know, I told you about that squirrel that used to hop from tree to tree when I was walking from my yeah. house to my car and throw shit at it. Yeah. It's got a squirrely look. Ah, ah. It's got that big bushy tail. Comedy. I hate it. Let me see him. Did I ever... Oh, you know what? I don't think I've ever said this before. By the way, it's Steve Kazee, everybody. Hello, hello. And this is Fairly Normal, and I'm obviously Josh Wolf. So I dated a girl once who had this operation on her belly button. And her, honestly, her belly button looked like a cat's asshole. And so every time she would take off her shirt, I'd be like, your belly button still looks she like should have gotten a tattoo. Just like a cat's <laughs> tail coming up. It's so good. Uh, yeah, I've never told anyone that she, she, I remember that, by the way, that's the end of that song. Um, what's up, man? The, yeah, the cat's asshole. We, but it was, somebody asked me, my buddy was like, was that going to be a deal breaker for you? I go, no, it doesn't smell like a cat. It's like, just kind of looks, to me, it's actually kind of a fun talking point. We've got a couple gnats here at this table. Yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird, like, natty evening tonight. We could try to switch the table. You oh, want? hey, listen, you know, I'm not afraid of a few gnats. All right, you let me know. we're both so sweet. It is. Wait, let me know if you want to get up and move it over to that table. Yeah, no, it's pretty portable. Stay away from that squirrel. Fuck, he's eyeballing me. By the way, we're out at a park. Because we're both homeless. Yeah. <laughs> we are out at a park. Um, I didn't want to take Steve over to my house because Jacob is coming down with something, and I don't want you to get the the plague. I appreciate that. And your house is? Just chaos. Chaos right Just now. Just so much going on. So, so we're out of the park. Yeah. Two grown men around a bunch of kids. <laughs> Nothing suspicious. It'd at be all. really weird if we had like a camera out. I, that squirrel is bothering the yeah, shit out of really me. Yeah, he really is. Like, oh, you scared him. He, good. Uh, you know what? I just think him. they're like rats of the sky. I don't know, man. I grew up, you know, in the woods, so I'm pretty used to squirrels. They're pretty chill and pretty awesome. You've never had an aggressive squirrel? No. Well, no. Take that back. I got bit by a squirrel in New York in Washington Square Park, but it was my own dumb fault. Were you like, trying to feed the squirrel? Yeah, I was like trying to feed the squirrel, and he was very happy to be fed. But then he went for like a peanut and just like got the sip. And I was like, rabies! I've got rabies! Yeah. Luckily, it didn't break the skin. But Did it hurt? Yeah. It I the shit out of me. Here's what I always fear. That they, it just gets on your face, and you ever seen them run around crazy like a tree? It just <laughs> yeah. runs around crazy around your face. Yeah. Like, and I it mean, it would if they attacked, it would not be. You'd have a lot of scratches, probably some punctures, and probably rabies. You know, I had a friend of mine who thinks he could beat the shit out of a raccoon. Ooh, no, right? I don't think so. Right, they're kind of vicious, aren't they? And they're big. And they have like, first of all, they have thumbs. Yeah, they can grab shit. And long claws. Yeah. Well, they're basically they're cats. I think. With I think I'm right about that. I think they're from the feline family. You think so? I think so. I believe they are from the feline family. Somebody I, can correct me on Twitter on that. Th- Steve somebody Kizzi. will. But I think, or maybe it's just that I we always fed them cat food when I was growing up. <laughs> just a little cat food out for the raccoons. Uh, but no, I think like those and like, what's the other one? Like servet, servet, uh, the ones that, you know, everybody started getting the, dis- hey, the how's it going? Uh, <laughs> started getting oh all the, Lord. Uh, when they were eating them over Ferrets. in. No, they weren't ferrets. The ones they were eating over in Asia and got everybody started getting the... Uh, cats. 
Yeah, they were like cats, but they're, I think they're called like servants or something like that. Servants? Ser- servants. People were eating Ser- their servants? Serval, servals? I don't gerbils? Know. No, not gerbils. They're like giant raccoons. Giant red raccoons. I, a giant red raccoon is not a terrible name for a band. Oh, that's actually a really good one. Um, I will tell you that, so raccoons, I think, could fuck me up. Mm. But uh, there was somebody on the podcast recently who, who, who was on board that they thought skunks and, and raccoons were in the same family. Uh, I'm, I'm not on board for that. I'm not on board with that. Uh, but I tell you, one of the most vicious killers in the in the sort of like uh, suburban life world is uh, possums. Those things are fucking aggressive and violent, and will get out of here. Oh, dude, they will attack and bite the shit out okay, of you. Okay, so you know. So stay away from possums. Somebody had a possum and a baby Bjorn at Trader Joe's. Well, yeah, I mean they can be trained very much like a raccoon. Yeah, can be, or not trained. They can be tamed, uh, not domesticated right um so they can be tamed but they'll always be wild animals it takes like thousands and thousands of years to domesticate an animal uh, like we, we've done dogs and cats when beth and i lived in studio city under our window i don't know if i've told this story before but there was just no way we would hear this noise one night and i was like what the fuck is that i look out the window and i can't see anything and i look down and it's two possums fucking. Wait, what? Two possums making that noise? Or yes. That was the, the it was the whack of them hitting. The whack of them hitting. Well, it wasn't them. The female's head was hitting the house, and the one of them was making it that noise there. So I'm like, this is fucking gross. We're trying to sleep. So I open up the window and I dump water on them. Dude didn't stop fucking. Oh no, that's a that's an that's an instinctual ritual happening. I ha- but I was like Beth was like throw more water. I'm like no, complete respect. Listen, you know what? If I'm fucking somebody and out of nowhere God jumps a bucket of water on me, I'm, I'm like gonna, I'm gonna stop. Yeah, I'm gonna stop. Something just happened. This is not the way it usually goes down. Let's pick up where we left off later. This dude had no quit in his game. Yeah. So I was like, well, but you grew up in the woods, woods. I, yeah, I grew up like in the woods, woods. So, so did you eat possum or squirrel or anything like that? Or I, did you know I've people? Eaten, I've eaten squirrel. Um, my grandfather actually used to. Uh, he They would freeze squirrel brains and then they just like put them in some milk, you know, warm them up. That's not up. true. Oh, yeah. Mix that's them up. not true. <laughs> like, like squirrel. Like Steve, that's not true. Listen to me. Like squirrel brain oatmeal. That's not true. They're like, no, I'm telling you. They like mix it up. Put a little sugar in it so it tastes all right. I never ate that. Uh, oh, yeah, good. I've Is eaten, that um, wait? What they do with the rest of the body? They eat that oh, too? Oh, yeah, that's like long gone. I well, mean, this, already... is, this is the kind of woods where you use every part of it. Like you, like we'll keep the skin. We'll like we use all the meat. You know, you like stew it. I mean, like yeah, it was like backwoods, backwoods, backwoods. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm saying I've got a bunch of questions. First, where is this? Uh, Ashland, Kentucky. How big? Well, the city itself is probably, I mean, when I was growing up there, I think it was like 25, 30,000 people well, in like a, tiny. in the metropolitan area. Yeah. But like where I grew up was out in what's technically called like Boyd County or like Westwood, uh, small, small, little, you know, so like Studio City to Los Angeles. Right. But in scale and perspective, much smaller and much more sort of uh, local, okay. rural. Okay. So. Say. How big is your high school that you went to? I, very small. It was seventh through twelfth grades, so it was. We can do this in my car. If they get, <laughs> if you want to, you, no, do you no, want no, it? it's you totally good? fine. Okay. Uh, if it gets too much, because you guys can't see this, but for whatever reason, they're they I seem to like you. I think it's because I just got back from the gym and I'm like super sweaty. 
Um, so I think maybe they're just attracted to my sweat, but uh, it's fine. I, I mean, if it bothers you, I'm beca- literally fine. Because it would right now, if pay I no was you, pay no attention to me just swatting at my face the whole okay, time. Okay, because if I was you, those that's the kind of thing that would drive me slowly insane. <laughs> yeah, so I'm no. watching you, and I'll I'm like, <laughs> this guy has the patience I'll of a ki- fucking saint. I'll end, up, I'll end up killing them all at some point. <laughs> all right. Um, well, listen. If at any time, I won't ask again. But if any time it gets too crazy, my car is right there. Yeah. No, we're good. Okay. Yeah. Trust me. All right. Um, yeah, so you've eaten squirrel brain. I've eaten squ- no, not squirrel brain. Squirrel meat. I've eaten. I've eaten deer meat. Me I've too. I've eaten uh, pigs nuts. Nuts. Yeah, the testicles of a pig. How do you? How are those prepared? Uh, slow cooker, barbecue sauce. They're actually pretty fucking delicious. If I'm gonna be honest. Okay, so how some people call them Rocky Mountain oysters? Yeah, those. Are, I thought those were bull nuts. Well, it depends. Yeah. So how, how long do you slow cook nuts? That's a great question. Uh, I don't know. These, you know, this is the kind of thing like growing, growing up in Kentucky, you just sort of like were you know you just take it for granted. Somebody Hold be on. like, oh here, have some. I'm gonna ask Siri. I'm gonna say Siri. Oh, yeah. How, how long do you how long do you slow cook nuts? All right. Ready? Siri, how long do you slow cook nuts? Well, she might think nuts as Oh, she might think like, yeah, peanuts. roasting chestnuts I'll on an open testicles. fire. We'll try again. Siri, how long do you slow cook testicles while we're out at the park? I'm still here for you. <laughs> she yeah. does not want to answer Siri this does question. not want to slow cook testicles. Okay. What were I asking here? I feel like this is maybe the wrong question to ask at a at children's a park. park. <laughs> you probably Siri, right. how long do you slow cook a child's body? <laughs> Um, Boo! Yeah. Um, yeah, I've eaten some weird shit, man. Snake. I'm going to ask you, okay, we're going to go one by one. Okay. So the squirrel, is yeah. that like gamey? Like uh, I hate that word, but yeah, it's gamey. Why do you hate that Cause word? Because it's like, what isn't gamey really when it comes from out of the wild? Like rabbit is super gamey. Yeah. Squirrel is going to be gamey. Like it's all gamey. We don't think that beef and chicken and things are gamey because they're just sort of raised on antibiotics. Right. But like Everything a, a wild good, is a gamey. Good steak should taste pretty gamey. I will tell you, you know, I, my parents <clears throat> they have wild turkey near their house. Yeah, and they were massive. But I was looking at them and I asked my mom, I'm like, so why does the wild turkey look so much different than the turkey we kill? And she said, well, those have been bred to look like that because everybody wants the breasts. Yeah, you want a big plump. So those are not the way turkeys are supposed to really look. The wild ones. We've just genetically changed them over the years to make the breasts bigger. Yeah. But she said, look, that turkey with the big bottom, that's how turkeys look. And they're mostly dark meat. Yeah. And I had no idea that to be true. I had no idea that in such a short time, we've genetically altered the way species look. Steve, usually that takes millions of years. Yeah, I try not to ever pay too much attention to it because, like, I'm a meat eater. I, I, I enjoy meat. I know that it's probably not the best thing to be, but, uh, you know, I, I enjoy meat. Yeah. Uh, but when I try not to pay too much attention to, where, to what, like, all the documentaries about where what, takes what we do to food because it's pretty of years, horrible. You just said possum. Millions of years. Yeah. What takes millions of years to change in something's DNA code, yeah. we're changing in two generations. Well, and, and by the way, that's only going to, I don't know if, like, I mean, not to get too sciencey, but there's, like, this whole thing called CRISPR. I don't mm-hmm. know, K-R-I-S-P-R, I think. CRISPR Glover? No, <laughs> different CRISPR. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, it's a process of, like, going inside of, you know, basically DNA and manipulating 
DNA and we're getting better and better and better at it into these tiny little microscopic, you know, incisions inside. We yeah. just cut this and paste this and put this over here and we can make, you know, oh, you want that kid to have this color hair and this color, boom. And, uh, you know, I mean, there are good things about it. Like we can say, oh, hey, uh, maybe ALS, we can try to figure out a way to reverse yeah. that or... Um, you know, your kid is going to be born with this sort of deformity. Maybe we can get in there and like change it before anything goes wrong. So, but when you start thinking about how things exponentially double on themselves. And by the way, while you're getting rid of ALS, give him a big dick. <laughs> like that's going <laughs> to be the first thing, by the way. By the way, hey. Does he have Down syndrome? Okay, cool. Well, can you give him a big dick? <laughs> like a really big dick. Yeah, like a hammer. Well, sir, we have a 16 to 18 inch regulation here. <laughs> That's all right. All 18's right. fine. Yeah, 18's good. We're good with that. Here's an extra 100. Just make it 19. Yeah, I. that is like... It's weird, It's right? scary. Well, you see it with like uh, plastic surgery stuff, right? Right. Like, uh, uh, like what was it? Oh, Propecia. Yep. It was like a prostate medicine. Like, And then they were like... They were like, hey, this is kind of growing hair on my face and my hands. And they were like, oh, maybe we can use that. I mean, botulism. They were like, hey, let's inject this into people's faces and make a billion dollars off of, you know, a poison, basically. Well, I mean, look, man, um, uh, what's it called um, that they used to use this for sweet aspartame is from formaldehyde. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're like, oh, this poison kind of tastes sweet. Yeah. Let's put this in Coke. <laughs> who's, who's drinking poison? <laughs> Well, you know, I wouldn't, I got to tell you, I wouldn't hate it if somebody changed the possum a little bit. It's a pretty fucking ugly animal. It's a, it's a, not a, a an, an attractive animal. And like I said, they're mean as shit. Have you eaten a possum? No. Okay. So Some people do though. Squirrel, did you eat like a squirrel sandwich or was it No, like a it was stew? just like a, no, it was like a, you know, like fried. Fried, uh, okay. Yeah, I'll so eat anything fried. Yeah. Were the pig's nuts fried? They were slow cooked. Right. Yeah, they were really good. And can I ask just a crazy quote? But when yeah. you bite into that, does it have like a little pop to it? No, it's like once it's cooked, it's like a meatball. Oh, you really? Know? Yeah. It's huh. like that's my memory of it. Was it tasted like? Uh, and everything depends on what sauce you put it in. Please. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Whatever meat you're putting it in, what's the sauce? Yeah. That's what it's gonna See, taste like. We literally like. had a conversation the other day with someone about like. <laughs> Every animal pretty much tastes delicious, yeah. right? So how, what do humans taste like? Oh. Like, I know it's a kind of a taboo yeah. thing. You can't really ask that. But I wonder if we taste like processed shit. And okay, let me ask you. What part of the... If you were like... Someone was like, man, you got to you gotta eat human. What part do you think you were like, I'll try... That's a good question. I think I would go the... You want some marbling. Yes. And I want some fat in there. Give it a little flavor. So you go ass cheek? Maybe ass cheek. I think I go ass cheek too. Yeah. If I'm going to take a bite, because the shoulder and the bicep seem a little too muscly. By the way, this cop, didn't that cop go to jail for this exact thing, speculating on wanting to eat somebody? He did? Or he was on trial for it, remember? He yeah, but he wasn't about, a comedian and an actor. That's a great point. We're, we're allowed to say whatever the I don't fuck. know, man. Donald Trump's America. <laughs> Who knows? But people don't expect. You know what I love? Is when people are like, when you give your opinion on social media or whatever, uh, and they're like, stick to Hollywood. Fucking actor. Stick to work. Stick to Hollywood and TV. We're not allowed to have opinions? No, not at all. That oh, I have to read to you what somebody said to me, to my face today. Jesus. Okay. This is how crazy. Where were you? I was at the bank. Okay. <laughs> she said, I thought you'd be better looking in person. Still look, still good looking, but not great looking. No offense. To my fucking face. <laughs> First of all, if you ever say, "Hey, no offense," you're an asshole. There's already offense. Yeah. Now I have to tell you, I as a comic, I laughed. Right. Because I'm like, that's that's where we are right was now. Was she trying to be funny or no. unintentionally funny? She was trying to give me a compliment. Uh, 
You're still good looking, just not great. Just not great. But just opening up with, she looked back. Josh Wolf? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I thought you'd be, be better looking in person. I mean, you're, you're still good looking, just not not great looking. Slight disappointment in the... Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh it is you. <laughs> yeah. I was kind of hoping it wasn't. Listen, but hey, cool, it's cool. Can you imagine... I mean, a couple things. And then I want to get back to the town that you grew up in because I have a lot of questions about growing up in a small town mm. and wanting to be in the arts. Yeah, oh, sure. Um, where? Why do you think people are so emboldened now to is it do you think it's because I have theories on the difference between movie actors, TV actors, and comedians? Mm-hmm. Here's my theory. Movie actor is still the place you go to you go to disappear. You go away to a mall or wherever into a huge dark and so there's still a little mystery. So I they don't seem as approachable. Yeah. TV guys, you're in somebody's living room, which makes you more approachable. Yeah. Comedians, you already know my name. Yeah. So we're like buddies. Yeah. That's how I break it down. That's why I feel like comics get more of the of that just right to our face stuff. Well, and you've just in most cases you've just performed right in front of them. Yeah. Three feet away. Yeah. You know, and there's alcohol involved. Yes, but this was at the bank. No, <laughs> That's al- a great point. No alcohol. <laughs> Although we don't know. We could could have been. We don't know where been. she was before. There was a woman who used to read when my we used to go. At my kids' kindergarten class, she used to always read to the kids drunk. She It was hilarious, and she would do commentary. She did this one, and I've said this before, but she, I, my favorite one was she was reading Redfish, Bluefish. Yeah. She, this is how she opens. Redfish, Bluefish. <laughs> and she looks at the rest of the parents, and she goes, like, there are bluefish. <laughs> and I was like, actually, there's a lot. A lot of, of bluefish. Mostly. <laughs> they camouflage down there, so they need kind of a little bit of blue. How drunk are you right now? She was fucking <laughs> always hammered. When I this was this was when I was I was single. She used to walk up to me and she drunk at school and I'd be oh. talking to other people and she'd be like, "You ready to fuck this black bitch?" Oof. And I'd be like, "Nope, I'm not. No, I'm not good. Quite ready. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah. Thank you though. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate the offer. Thank you so much. Uh, but why do you think? Do you have people? I think that's pretty spot on. Actually, I never really thought of it, but I think you're right. I think it's like. There is a mystery to people in film and TV. You're just sort of like you feel like you know them because they're a part of your favorite show. Like, and they're in your house. Yeah, I you know I don't get a look. I I'm mostly known for what I did in on the in theater in New York. Yeah. Um, and I would say probably most well known television wise for Shameless. Like I constantly like will be out and somebody will just go Gus. You yeah. Know, and, you were and, fantastic in Shameless. Oh, thanks, by man. The way. And I'll like you know it's always a little jarring, but. They there is a sort of familiarity that they have with you being on TV. I think because they just feel like they know you, but they don't know you. They know the character you, and they know the guy that you played, and so they just assume that's who you are. Um, but you know, I haven't ever done a film yet, Hollywood. I hope you're listening. Um, but I think that that's probably pretty spot on. It's a pretty good uh, read of the situation. I think. Do you prefer? Um, Broadway to television, uh, or is it just different animals? So different, you know. There are things that I like about each that the other you were doesn't in once, have. Dude. Yeah, it was in a pretty pretty cool Broadway show for I, a couple of years. I year like how you just breezed over that. Yeah, like you were. That was at the time the 
That was the Hamilton of its time. Yeah, we, right. Well, yeah, on a much smaller scale. But, but yeah, yeah. But, but yeah. But if you were going to New York, you were people would yeah, say we you got to see once. Yeah, we were a pretty hot show. We did pretty well. We won a lot of Tonys that year, and we were very sort of you know blessed to have a, an incredible company and an incredible uh, creative team, and just the product itself was just so good. So I, you know, it's one of those things that when you get the opportunity to do a show like that, it's like, well, if nothing else, I'll always have that. I I did that thing, and I'm very proud of that. But, and you can sing, dude. Thanks, man. Well, I guess, like, I think about this all the time when I see Broadway or see live bands. Like, on an average night, how many lines are dropped in a Broadway, and then on a Broadway play, and then, it, or is it, am I thinking that there actually aren't that many? Yeah, believe it or not, it's really it's pretty rare that it happens. Really? Yeah, I mean, you have brain farts here and there, but. You know, for the most part, I mean, these people, I often say theater actors are far superior to television and film actors as far as skill set goes. doesn't mean that, you know, oh, uh, Tom Hardy is not as good of an actor as, you know, whoever the top Broadway actor Nathan is. Nathan Lane. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, it, you're comparing apples and oranges. Right. But it takes such a, a stronger sense of dedication to being in the moment. Because I can't just lose a line and go like, uh, you know what, back to one. Let's let's just go again. Right. I got it this time. I get. Let's go again. I mean, you're out there in front of 1,100 people if you're lucky enough to be on Broadway, and you have one chance to get it right. And I don't mean it's say like the eight, the line. it's like eight mile. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. You lose yourself yeah. in the moment, but like you really you you just have that one shot to get it all right. Not. Uh, say just the line or step in the right place. That's amazing, you have to get dude. the emotion. You have to get the conversation that you're having with your partner on in the scene has to be always constantly kept up. It's like, you know, there's a lot of acting teachers will talk about keeping a balloon in the air. Yeah. You know, you always want it to be lifting. You never want it to hit the ground. And, you know, it's a hard thing to run. It's a living, breathing organism from the time you buy your ticket until the time the curtain goes down. And then even afterwards at the stage door, like it's just a part of everything from the ushers to concessions. It seems to, exciting, dude. It seems it is. It, and I, it seems intoxicating even a little it bit. It is. And it's exhausting. And that's where the trap comes. Because what is it, five nights a week? Seven shows or eight shows a week, six nights so you do oh, that's a grind Tuesday well most nor like a, a traditional Broadway schedule is a Tuesday night two on Wednesday Thursday night Friday night two on Saturday one on Sunday well, that's why that guy from Hamilton had to leave because I'm sure especially with the pressure of that show that it gets to be a lot I, bl I blew my vocal cords out towards the end of the, my uh, run in once and I actually was not able to finish my run in once uh, so I actually never got a closing night in that show which was you know really sad and depressing for me and <coughs> Still kind of one of those things that, like, I just feel like I missed out on, like, getting right. to close out a show. But, you know, I did that show for a year and a half, and I gave my absolute heart and soul to it. I bled. I sweat. I cried. I screamed. I sang. I did everything I could eight times a week. And, you know, I had a pretty stellar record up until the end. And, uh, you know, I lost my mom during that time. So I just went through it. Is a, that right? Yeah, it was a rough time. So it was just a, it was a real sort of up and down that whole experience. How does okay? You mind if I ask you a couple no, questions? No, not at all. Okay, because obviously, were you close to your mom? Very. So that's obviously an incredibly emotional experience, life changing. Yeah. One that probably almost maybe a blessing and a curse to be doing the show at the time, so your mind wasn't on it 
24-7. Yeah. Is that true? Absolutely. But also, how does it not... How does it not affect your performance? And if it does, how do you let it inform your performance? It's a it's a delicate balance. Uh, you know, it's um, it, the show. It's you know, the character was also uh, sort of affected by the loss of his mother, which was sort of written into the script. I had a monologue where I talked about my mom took me to this place and. Uh, it was the first time I learned what fear was all about. What was it like it, the first time you did that monologue after? Uh, I don't really remember. So my mom passed away uh, on Easter Sunday, 2012. Was and it sudden? No, cancer. 13 years. She was sort 13 of fighting years? it. Yeah. yeah. She and was cancer. terminal for three. Yeah, fuck cancer. Yeah. Uh, a very, very wonderful woman uh, is actually just taken to hospice in my hometown who was like huge supporter of the arts. She's a wonderful, wonderful woman. And, you know, just for no reason at all has cancer and is, you know, gone now or will be gone. Uh, and it just makes no sense. But, you know, my mom was very sick for a long time and she, my dad had called me and said, you know, I, I feel like we're getting close here. You should probably come home. And at that point we'd only been opened on Broadway for maybe uh, I'd say two weeks I think two and a half weeks it's a tough time to go yeah and we had just gone through tech and everything was you know and for those people who don't know what tech rehearsal on Broadway is like I mean it's basically tw you know 12 hours a day you know and you're just grinding through and you're running lights and sound and costumes and it's just it's a grueling grueling process yeah and it's also the pressure of opening a you know a big time Broadway show is very heavy as well it's not like you know we were doing a show and you know at the, at the Falcon and you know no, and there in, are hundreds of people also their jobs are kind of counting on you exactly yeah so you know it was a lot of pressure my dad said you you should come home uh and we I, I've told this story a lot of times uh but we had we were at the Today Show uh doing sort of one of those you know hey this is our Broadway show and we're going to do a performance on the Today Show and I was in my dressing room, uh, it must have been around like 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning, and uh, my dad called and he was like, you need to come home. Like the doctor said, it's, you know, she doesn't have much time left. And I mean, I just lost it. I went up into the lobby of 30 Rock, uh, you know, just famous old fresco, or not frescoes, but the, uh, you know, the paintings on the wall. Yeah. Uh, I just collapsed in the lobby. I was just sobbing and squalling and I was in my costume and, it's like so surreal. My producer, uh, my general manager was there with me and he was. Somebody probably saw you in costume and was like, this dude is into his role. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> like freaking out. This dude's killing it. Whoa. He's awesome. method. This guy's great. <laughs> gonna, let's go get tickets to that show. What show is that? He's um, killing it. Yeah. So, you know, but they were like, let's just call this off. And, you know, to their credit, they were wonderful about like, you don't have to do this right now. But, you know, I, I don't want to be like, oh, well, the show must go on. Right. But I couldn't get on a flight until noon. We were already there. You know, my whole cast was there. We had all worked our asses off. And How I was do like, you put it, like, as a professional? Because that's not something you've ever dealt with before. You, do you, you don't. Put, what do you do? Dude, you should see. I, do you have I, a clip of it? Yeah. Yeah, I keep it. I keep that particular clip. I don't have clips of any of the other shows that we did, but I have Ooh. that clip. What are the chances you let me see that? I'll send it to you. Yeah. I'd really like to see that, man. Yeah. It's, uh... It's weird because... Can you, you pick things up about yourself oh, where you're like... 100%. I'm not even there. Can other people pick it up? I don't know. I don't know. I, I'll be interested to... See, well, I mean, I should have showed it to you before because now you'll know. So you'll be a little informed ahead of time. But yeah. I mean, I'm just out of it. I'm definitely out of it. And, you know, I have to say, like, uh, Hoda and Kathy Lee, <laughs> it's like, this is the uh, the ridiculousness of the moment. 
hey, uh, your mom's dying. You're like, okay. You're freaking out, crying at NBC at the Today Show. Then they pull you upstairs and they put a guitar on you. And this guy who I had worked with like 10 years before this, this wonderful guy named Jeremiah, is like working at the Today Show. And I didn't know it. So he comes up and he's like, hey, man, I'm, I'm, it's good to see you. I heard about your mom. I'm so sorry. If you need anything, I'm like, yeah, no. It's, but I'm like seeing a guy I haven't seen in 10 years. And then Kathy Lee and Hoda come over and they're like, hey, you know, I'm so sorry. We all, everyone knows, Jesus. like, if you need anything. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm okay. I'm all right. Like, let's just keep, you know. I usually, like, at that point, you're just like, let's keep let's going. Let's just do it going. and stop talking about it. My whole company was so wonderful. Like, all the actors were just kind of sort of not making eye contact yeah. because they were like, oh. It's like a pitcher like, with a no-hitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, no one wanted to sit next to me on the bench, you know. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, talk to him about it. you know, yeah. and then we're playing like Falling Slowly, which is this beautiful song, but it's like so, you know, plotting and sad and yeah. sort of like heavy. And, you know, you know that millions and millions of people are watching it. And you also know that like your mom's dying like a thousand miles away. And it's just it, the whole thing was weird. I, we did it. I left. I got on a plane. I got home and, you know, I just didn't leave her. I mean, she was already sort of. Is that is that the kid we were gonna boil? I think so. Yeah, slow cooking. Um, it was this you know weird thing of like I had just been on the Today Show. I flew home to this little tiny city in Kentucky. Uh, went to my house, my old house, which is a you know a trailer, uh, and my mom was in a you know hospital bed in the living room, and hospice was called in, and she was already gone. You know, she was already like so medicated that she never really had consciousness. We never got that last moment to like sort of mm-hmm. have a conversation. Um, and then, you know, she lived for about four days, and it was horrible. I mean, it was just the worst, horrible suffering. And every day, I just, as hard as it sounds, you know, you just kind of want it to be over for her. Mm-hmm. You get you get selfish for about an hour, and then you're like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, this is awful. Like, this person needs to not suffer anymore. I yeah. love this person so much, but it's time to go. And you, like, instinctually, you know, I want to write a book about this because I, I, there's a lot of books on grief and there's a lot of, but there's just an absurdity to it all. There's like a, such a, like, your parent is laying there dying and your job, at least my job, was to give her morphine in her mouth every two hours so that she wouldn't feel the pain of it all, right? And so I had... It, for a long time, it was still in my iPhone. I had a, an alarm set for every two hours in case I happened to like pass out because there was no sleep. You know, you don't mm-hmm. sleep, but you have moments where you kind of like just fall over, and then you're like, "Oh fuck, what time is it?" And you know, for, for for four days, every two hours, I was giving her morphine, and you know, the hospice lady would come in and be like, "How's everything going?" And be like, "Oh great, I'm still doing your job." Why didn't she do it? Because they don't. Hospice is a joke, man. I mean, I know a lot of people are going to take that the wrong way, but at least in my in my situation that I was in, there's no point in hospice. Your being brothers there. and sisters? No, it was just me. Um, it, my family was around, uh, you know. But it's hard. It's hard to ask anybody. I, at least I felt this way. It was hard to ask anybody else to take over that duty of. I, I just felt this enormous sense of uh, duty to my mother. I was like, you brought, you gave me life. You had me inside of you for nine months. You have raised me and gotten me to this point in my life. And I sort of felt like my job was to help her pass. You're not going to get any argument from me there. Yeah. Like, I'm not I'm not saying it was your job, but I'm, you're, not, you're not getting an argument. Like, you, I just didn't want anybody yeah, else to totally do it. Totally get that, dude. Totally you know? get that. Um, and 
so it was just surreal. So she passed away on that Easter Sunday. So it was like, I think I got home on that Thursday. She lived for like four days. She died on Sunday night. Monday morning, went to the funeral home. Uh, Tuesday had the funeral, Wednesday got her ashes, and Thursday drove back to New York, and I was back in the show. Now, how? so you drove from Kentucky to New York? With my mom's ashes, yeah. Talking to her? Uh, here and there, yeah. I still do. It's a weird thing. I was just, yeah, ashes I was curious. are a weird thing. Do you have ashes at the again, house? Again, it's like a totally ridiculous fucking thing. But do you have the ashes at yeah, your house? Yeah, of course. I've literally got my mom's ashes in a cute little urn with her with a picture of her. Can I tell you something? Yeah. So <clears throat> we were at, I have by my front door a mixture of ashes of my grandparents, my nana and my papa. So <laughs> I had forgotten. My uncle had sent out an email after my grandmother had died. Does anybody want Nana's ashes? And I was like, Yeah, I'll take some. And he was like, you mix mixed with Papa's. And I was like, oh, that's great. I'll take some. We're out to dinner in Hollywood, down on Melrose somewhere. And we're about midway through. He goes, oh, I forgot. And he reads over. And he hands me this plastic bag. And I go, what is that? He was like, there's no ceremony. It wasn't like no. in a cup or anything. He's like, yeah. oh, that's Nan and Papa. And I was like, dinner? Really? This is where we're doing this? That's what I'm saying. It's yeah. There are moments where it's just so ridiculous, right? So I had a similar thing. Like I had just gotten my mom's ashes back and I was going to take them with me. Yeah. And her sister, understandably so, was like, I would like a little bit of those um, because I want to put them on uh, her dad's grave. And so I was like, okay. Yeah. And I go and I like open the box up. How much are you supposed to get? And there's like a plastic bag. Oh. And then you do, you ask yourself like, what's How the right much amount? do I give? Yeah. What's the right I kind of want a lot of these. Yeah. But then I was like, it's a fucking bag of ashes. Yeah. Like, it doesn't make any sense at you all. You could have gone. Then yeah. you're looking at it and you're like, Here's, my mom's in a bag right now. It's so abs- it's it's so absurd. Yeah. Because I was thinking the same thing, right? I was like, well, how much a nan on papa is he giving me? I hope he doesn't chintz on nan on papa. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, I want I want my fair share on nan on papa. Right. But then I started to think, this is the stupidest conversation. <laughs> He could give me a bag of dirt and be like, that's Nana and Papa. I'd be like, thanks. Yeah, and it still has the same <laughs> yeah. sentimental value. Same exact It's sentiment. so now, random. I will tell you, I do have I do have um, my dog's ashes, too. My very first dog. Um, And I got those just because they were like, what do you want to do with these? And I was like, what are the options? And they were like, well, we can basically throw them out in the trash. Or yep. You can have them. And I was like, well, I'll take them. Yep. Why not? I'll take them. And so I've just carried these ashes around with me because I don't know what else to do with them. I've tried to throw them out, Steve. Can't do it. I can't do it. I've tried to throw them out. And this was my buddy. He was St. Bernard. And he and I traveled. Look, we drove from Texas to New York. We drove from New York to Seattle. We drove from Seattle to California. We drove from California back to Texas. Like, he and I did everything together for years. And my buddy. He was my buddy. Yeah. But, uh... I was like, why am I keeping ashes of a dog? 
I'm going to throw these away. And every time I get to the trash can, can't I'm, do it. I can't fucking yeah. do it. It's weird, man. It's like a weird sentimental attachment to it. But, you know, look, I am. I should state for the podcast, I am an atheist. I don't really believe in the sort of afterlife and the hereafter. So I sort of think once you're gone, I sort of take a scientific approach. Like matter can neither be created nor destroyed. Atoms are atoms. I agree. The atoms that made up my mom are still somewhere around here. They're still floating around. Some of them are in that bag, you know. So her consciousness is not with us in a way that I can communicate, but I still feel her. I still feel her presence. I don't think she's gone, gone, but it is weird to just have this thing yeah. that is, you know, like, I, because like, you're never going to get rid of those ashes. No, never. No, never. And right. like, you know, you feel guilty. Like I've had moments I moved from one place to the other and I had to leave them at the other place yeah. for like a week. I felt guilty. I was like, ah, my mom's like <laughs> sitting in that place. But then I'm like, but eh, not really. Not really. Yeah. She's totally fine. <laughs> like she's fine. Yeah. But you do feel like this yeah. weird, like you just want to like hold on for whatever reason. But I'll have nights too where like, you know, I'll smoke a joint and just turn on like Pink Floyd really loud and I'll like put the ashes on the table and I'm just like having, you know, we're going to talk. Let me tell you about how my life's going right now. You know, so it's like. Does it help you? Yeah, of course. Do you, here's what's beautiful is that your, know that your mom would be so happy that you're still talking to her. Yeah, for sure. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like I thought about that because I talked once to my nana and papa and I think this is ridiculous. <laughs> But then I thought, you know how happy they would be if before they died, they knew that I would always talk to them? Like, that is like a little something. Yeah. It, it is a little gift to know. And I'm with you on matter. Like, so you, you consider yourself an atheist. I consider myself to be spiritual. Well, I tell you, I actually, when, I, when anybody at really asks, I don't usually ever say I'm an atheist. I say I'm a universalist, which means that I believe in what is in the universe around us. Yeah. And I believe in matter. I believe in atoms. I believe in chemistry. And I believe in all that sort of you stuff. You believe in that science stuff? I do believe in that science stuff, which is <laughs> rare coming from Kentucky. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out, <laughs> burn, Kentucky. <laughs> Got him. Got him. Now, take me through. You drive up. You have a show that night when you get in there? Uh, no. So I got in late Wednesday night. Yeah. I had a show on Thursday night. So I had about you know 12 hours to recover. That first monologue that you give yeah. about your mom. First monologue, nothing. Like walking onto stage was like the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Really? Yeah, because I was just... I was a mess. How raw you were must have been raw, 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 raw. Yeah, it, you know it's unfortunate too because, man, I, you know, so much of your, of who you are as a person is determined on your behavior and your attitude and all that. And you know, I think a lot of people didn't understand at the time or didn't really know what I was going through. You know, my mom was basically dying for four years. Yeah. So, that's pretty much the time I got out and started working professionally. So my entire like first four or five years of working were sort of always tinged with like, well, my mom's dying of cancer and, and I'm the stresses of back home. And, and I let it affect me in ways that I think sort of brought me across as not the person that I wish that I had come across as. Give like, me an example. What do you mean? Like a little bit of an asshole to people. Were you just short? Short. Um, no, testy, no small talky. Not really, don't get close to people. I'm, I, I'm socially awkward a lot of the times around people. I feel a little withdrawn, a little introverted. And you know, I think when you're seen as an actor, you're supposed to be an extrovert. And, yes, you know, shaking hands and always on. And I just wasn't that way. But in this show in particular, and I didn't realize it until much later. But you know, I was like f struggling really bad with like depression and anxiety and stress uh, of just losing a parent. Not to mention all of it that comes along with like 
being in a Broadway show yeah. uh, and, and being, you know, a part of a, an ensemble of performers that are carrying a show. I mean, you know, we were all musicians and actors, and so we were all responsible for that show. Yeah, but it's happening. not. Listen, you're <coughs> making it sound like an ensemble, yes, but you were one of the two. Well, to one of the two, the main characters. Yes. But I will say this much. In that show, because if anybody saw it, or if you didn't see it, I should say, the actors were the orchestra. Yes. So we were all playing instruments throughout the entire show. So there, it's not like a normal show where you have a lead guy and then you have a character that walks on and goes, the police are here. Yeah. And then leaves and never comes back. Like I like how you give that kind of a 40s. Huh, the 1940s. Yeah. Yeah, Telephone the police are here. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to go downtown. See? Yeah, you, but, you know, you, like, grab me, copper. Right. So we didn't have that. <laughs> so everybody was sort of carrying that show. Yeah. Um, so that's why I say that because I do feel like at the end of the day it was – it was one character. Can you think of a moment that first night where you relaxed a little bit? And can you think of that a moment in that first night where you were really having, you were like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep this in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could think, I remember walking out on stage and seeing my cast out there. And, you know, I said this at the Tonys and, and I, I still mean it today. Like, you know, despite you, know, you always have like, you always have uh, any job that runs for a long time. You're going to have sort of inner office, you know, somebody does something you don't like or whatever. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, those human beings that were in that show uh, were incredibly supportive uh, and and I said lifted me up during that time. But they did, you know, in a lot of ways, they would just give you a look that let you know, like, hey, I got your back. If anything, you know, if you fall down right now, I got your back. So that's the first thing I remember is like, OK. I'm not alone here. That must have been when you lose the matriarch, your mom. Obviously, a lot of us are very close to our mom. It must have been a little bit of a comfort to be able to you know, to go back into what you kind of considered to be a family. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, theater, that's the great thing about theater that you don't necessarily get with television either is like it is a family. And Way more so than TV? Yeah. And if you're lucky enough to be on a show that has run for a year on Broadway or two years on Broadway, then it's an even deeper family and like all families there's going to be dysfunction there's going to be quarrels and you're not going to like everybody and you're not going to get along all the time but I think at the end of the day they're your family and you love them and there's not a person who I did that show with who I wouldn't drop everything in the world for to help right now do you think they know that I hope so maybe not Uh, because I wasn't I wasn't very good at showing that have you ever man have you ever made a phone call to anybody on that show and been like you know, I realized this years later, what you just told me. I was going through a tough time. And, and, and like, I, if I came across, I just want to apologize. Yeah. Or have you ever done anything? I've, I'm not saying you need to. I'm no. just curious if you, has that ever, like, something that you would think, maybe I'll do that someday? It, I haven't. You know, there were a couple of times where I didn't sort of put my best foot forward and I would, you know, write an, <laughs> a company email, basically, yeah. saying my apologies and... um. But, you know, it was hard, man. I was really going through it, yeah. you know, and, and it's been, it'll be five years coming up in April of next year. So it's been four and a half years. And in that time, I've realized just how much all of that affected my behavior as a human being and yeah. sort of didn't allow me to be the person that I would always think that I am or that I would choose to be. And, you know, the pressure got to me sometimes and, and 
depression is a bitch, man. Yeah. Um, you know, you hear people sort of throw around depression. You hear people go like, oh, I'm depressed. Real depression is a fucking bitch. Yeah. And I had never known what that was until about uh, a year after my mom died. Really? Yeah. Oh, dude, I was manic after she, right after it's a, she passed away. Is it a away. slow, oh, gradual? Yeah, you go, I went, so she passed away in April, like I said, Easter Sunday. Within a month, we had the Tony Award nominations. Then the following month were the actual Tony Awards. So the show won, a bunch of people won, I won. You're on this high, the show's a hit, people love it. You're just going crazy, you know? You're like, yeah. oh, man, I'm in a hit. We're in a hit. Like, the his show's a hit. Yeah. And you get kind of manic and, like, weird, and then the next day you're just on the floor completely depressed, and you don't know how you're going to go on with your life, and you feel like everything's a sham, and, you know, somebody's going somebody's gonna to find out. Somebody's going to see that you don't deserve that award, and you don't deserve this show. Yeah. And, like, you know, so you have this, like, competing up and down. But for the most part, you're just manic. And then once it all went away and it was just me in my apartment, and it was quiet, that was it, man. I mean, I fucking hit bottom. I was so depressed. Because when you can sort of run away from grief, I talked to a surgeon, uh, this guy was one By of- By the way, you, surgery doesn't do it. Huh? Did he tell you? He, <laughs> no, okay, because no, no. if, yeah. if he did, you paid him too much money. <laughs> no, no, this guy was a trauma <laughs> surgeon. And I said to him, I was like, how, how do you deal with the stress of your job? Because yeah. you lose people every day. Every day somebody dies in this guy's business. Mm -hmm. And he was like, you know what, man? He was like, you have to deal with it. That's the first thing. But there's a time and a place. He goes, and I put it in a little jar, a little like mental jar, put it on a shelf. And then when I need to, I go, I open that jar, I deal with it, and I move on. And I let it be done. And my problem was I just wasn't dealing with the fact that my mom was dead. How did you deal with it? Uh, therapy and stuff like that? Therapy, yeah. I did a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy, which for me was uh, perfect. I sort of went into this weird thing where uh, I got a lot of health anxiety, which is pretty common when somebody dies of a disease, someone yep. close to you, you sort of uh, project that disease onto yourself. And so it was just like, you're, fa you know, you're faced with your own mortality. You know, when, you, when, you are, when I was there with my mom, as she's taking her last breaths and she's dying and she's literally dying. Like a human being is dying in your hands and you feel it all happen. Gee. It sort of slams your world into perspective real quick. You're yeah. like, Oh man, like that's going to happen to me at some point when you see it like that. Um, and so because of that, I was just like every little thing. I was like, oh, I'm going to die. I'm going to get cancer, skin cancer. What's this mole? What's this? You know, and you just start spinning. And so I was really like suffering a lot with like health anxiety and, and that sort of like health related depression. And you so, didn't go on WebMD, did you? No, 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 no. WebMD is like, always avoid that. WebMD is like, as soon as you type in, you're like, my, oh, toe, yeah. my toe hurts. Cancer. I'm going to die tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. That's WebMD is like the worst thing oh, that could my, have ever happened. I went on WebMD high once, dude. Oh, don't, no, 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 no. And I just went into Beth. I'm like, there's some fucking shit really wrong with me. Yeah. She's like, why? I'm like, well, I had this itch in my neck. And then I went on WebMD. It was like a little permanent, like, I was like, this always itching. And I went down, like down. I was like, could be this, could be this. And I was like, oh, none of that's good. I'm like, I'm going to die <laughs> next week. It's a fucking itch. And she was like, go to sleep. Yeah. Wake up tomorrow. Yeah. And nine times out of ten, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the more you think about it, the worse that itch gets. 
come on. Dude, I mean, I was literally having moments where I would give myself physical symptoms of whatever I was thinking I had. You know, and you're like, I feel that. No, no, no. It's like you feel it. Yeah. And then, you know, you go to a doctor, which luckily, you know, I never got to the point to where I wasn't like doctor chasing because a lot of people go that way. Right. They're like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to go see another doctor. I had a wonderful physician who was like, look, you're depressed. Like, you you are depressed. They tried to give me antidepressants. Uh, I reacted very badly to the antidepressants. How so? Tell me. Well, apparently some people can't take what are called SSRIs, which uh-huh. are serotonin uptake receptor Why? Inhibitors. What happens? You get flooded with... so. All right, these drugs, they sort of... By the way, the look on your face, I'm, I'm anticipating this with bated breath. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was pretty bad. Really? Yeah. So, like, you you go from, like, it's like all of a sudden everything is too much. So, you, again, like you're... What? So, the point of antidepressants is they cling to your serotonin receptors, uh-huh. right? And they, they keep you from sort of flooding your system with like panic or dread or any of those things they can kind of level you out a little bit they inhibit your serotonin receptors right serotonin boosts you yep so they inhibit for some reason when i took uh, i was lexapro that i took i was just like i felt like i could punch no take that back i felt like i could chew through like 16 walls made of steel like I had just grit and like wanted to just wait. You felt like super strong, superhuman. Like the Incredible Hulk. What's wrong with that? Well, because you can't live like that. I mean, Why not? You wake up in the morning and just like just wanted to like break stuff. Wait, and, were you angry or you yeah, just felt strong? All, all everything. Like, a, like you, no, you didn't feel like the Hulk. You felt like a supervillain. Uh, yeah, everything on like a million percent. Sad, a million percent. Happy, a million percent. Angry, a million percent. Horny, oh a million percent. Really? Like you were just like crazy. You just wanted everything. So it was like super manic. So I went to the doctor. How I was long like, did that happen? Well, it was a right around the four week mark when you're supposed to be leveled off yeah. at that point. And I went to the doctor. I was like, I'm not leveled off. My anxiety is only worse now. And she was like, Yeah, that happens sometimes. Like, did you audition people... like that ever? No, no. I God. wonder how good you or bad you would have been. That's always my fear, by the way. You know, it's like. Uh, like I know people who like smoke up and then go audition for things, no, or I like do that. smoke up and like go work. I've, I've, I've gotten high and gotten that. worked out. Well, that, I, that's basically every day. Yeah, <laughs> high at the gym working out. Yeah, it's me a too. Great, yeah. It's a great workout. Oh, it's the best. But like I have a professional line that I won't cross. If yeah. I'm working on something, I won't ever smoke. It's just not you know that's just not a line I want to cross. You know what's interesting is I. Okay, so I pot by the way. Yes, just, I mean, at I my late shows, clear. late shows, never on an early show because I never want to be high at the beginning of a show. But a late show, I usually take an edible about midway through, so I'm high at the meet and greets. Yeah, I try not to be high on stage because it gets a little goofy. Well, you've seen me on stage. Yeah, um, you know what's odd? You've seen me on stage twice, but you saw. You've really seen me do two kind of experimental sets. Yeah, you were working on both sets. And by the way, w- the one was at Gotham yeah. Comedy Club. Yeah. Which, am I not, isn't it on 23rd between, or no, it's on 26th. Yeah. Because when that whole thing was happening that night, I was like, oh, God, uh, that that was right across from Gotham Comedy Club. But I guess not, but it was right in that area. Yeah. Um, yeah, you, yeah, you, you've, it's interesting. This is why I equate, by the way, your Broadway with uh, comedy, which is why 
I've always been more like if someone was like, I auditioned for some Broadway. You know, they did that Buddy the Elf thing. They oh yeah, they had me audition for Buddy the Elf and nice. shit like that. I would do Broadway. I think I think that intrigues me more than TV and movies. Yeah. What I love about that stand up and like with the two sets that you've seen, especially the Gotham one, which I had a full hour and fifteen minutes, maybe I did. Yeah. I love the freedom. I love the freedom. I love the immediacy. I love jumping out of the plane with a parachute in my hand. I hope it works. Yeah. I love all that. Like, that's what I love about the live stuff, which is why, and you can't hide anything on stage, which is why I'm so intrigued by uh, being flooded with that much emotion and, and somehow making it that emotion be part of now your new character. Yeah. It's, that's why it's amazing to me. Listen, I've done some stand-up in bad ways. And in a way, like I said before, I, I was very happy that stand-up was there because for that hour, I could forget. Mm. Forget, but not let go of. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was still informed how I worked. Yeah. That That's why doing that live for how many more months is fascinating well, to me. Yeah, I mean, that was just the beginning of the run, so, you know, it was, it was a tough time. It, that particular night... The first night back was so strange. I don't remember a lot of it. I remember moments, like flashes here and there. I remember... Do you have any on video? No. No. I When I walked off stage that night after we did the curtain call, I got two steps off stage and I just fell down on the wings and I just cried. Yeah. And I just laid there and cried. And uh, my leading lady was very sweet and comforting at the time. And my stage managers and, uh, you know, uh, they were all pretty wonderful about it. Um I had done a, um, and you know, this is nowhere near on the same level, but I was doing a one-man theater piece about me and being a single dad and my kids. And in the piece, I was talking about how my ex kind of held the custody of my two oldest kids over me. Yeah. And I always, you know, the reason I didn't date for a while is because whenever I would date, she'd be like, well, if you date somebody, I'm basically taking the two older kids. Oh. And it was really difficult. <clears throat> so during that time of that show, I had written the show before. She had taken the kids. So I remember the same thing happened to me. I finished the show. And the whole show was about how I wanted to fight for him and how I wanted, you know, I would do anything for him. And and how as happy as I could be, that still cloud hung over my head that she was in control of something that was super important to me. The most important thing to me. And they had been taken, and I remember that same thing. This is why, like, it informed. I, I had done two shows before, a little gap, and then this show, same show, with completely different real life information. The real life information was they were really gone now. Yeah. And it changed the entire. What I thought, I thought it changed the entire show. What Beth said to me when she saw it, she was like, "That one was so much better. You were so much more um, available." And I go, "But yeah, you knew." She was like, "Mm." Everything you were supposed to feel, you felt, but in a deeper way. I guess that's what I'm asking you. Like, well, did that acting, happen with you? Yeah, I think acting is uh, the the best kind of acting is when you can find honesty. And I, you know, I don't mean to sound all artsy and like, oh, I'm an actor, but you know, when you can find honesty in in the emotion that you're trying to convey to an audience, because basically that's what your job. You know, this goes back to like hanging out around fires and like after the hunt. Right. I always think about like the one guy or the one girl. After the hunt would be a good name for a podcast. That's great. <laughs> <coughs> you know. 
you've been out, you've got a couple of buffalo or whatever, you yeah. come back to the cave, you're like cooking it up, and there's like one guy or one girl who was like, you guys, we were out there, and this buffalo comes chart, and he's like telling the story, right? right. That's where this came from. What, what I do, what actors do, that's where that came from, storytelling. So your job is to convey the emotion of a situation to the people who are watching you, and you want to be as truthful to that as possible, almost like a, you want to be the mirror of the emotion you're feeling to the audience so they can look and see that emotion and then register a feeling to it. So if I'm in love on stage and I convey it in a truthful way, somebody in the audience goes, I recognize love and now I feel. Mm. Um, Or if you're in a fight with someone, an argument on stage, if you feel it and if it's an honest argument, the person in the audience goes, oh, I'm uncomfortable because I've been in that situation. I feel that. And there's a relation to it. So I was able to, I'm not method. I wouldn't say I'm a method actor. Like I'm, I'm not glad my mom passed away and I'm not glad that I went through all of that so that I could feel it better. Right. But when you know what it's like to lose someone, you can honestly convey what it's like to lose someone. And when your partner is a good partner, a good acting partner, and they're giving you the same thing, you can't help but be giving a great performance because you're getting the emotion you need that informs your emotion back to that person. And it becomes this like synergy between actors and the audience can't help but relate. You know what I'm saying? So like, that's a very heady, heady sort of look at it. And, and by the way, that's not all acting. Like clearly, there's some acting that's just like show up, stand on the line, yeah. you stand on, stand on your mark, and say your line, and move on. But I will. You know what's interesting? You said that <clears throat> the, that the people in the audience relate to the emotion on stage. Do you know there are a couple stories that I tell on stage that I feel that. But the one I'm working on now, the one you and Michelle saw at the Laugh Factory, I see the most because that story. I hope I'm uh, about working at the phone sex line. Yeah. I hope I'm projecting that I was uncomfortable. Right. And and so the reason I think I can tell that I am is because I can see people in the audience uncomfortable. And that now makes sense to me. I must be doing that part of the story right. Well, yeah. And on that particular thing, you're reaching a lot of different levels. You're reaching people that have had to work shitty jobs. Yeah. So people go like, oh, God, I remember that feeling of like having to work a shitty job. Then you're also reaching people who have had to call those fucking sex lines because they're sad and yeah. lonely. Yep. And then you have you reach people who want to call them but are scared to because they're lonely. You know, it's like so you not every emotion plays on the same person the same way. You know, so like some people, if you're trying to convey love on stage and you're doing it in an authentic way, there are going to be people who are affected because they've never known that kind of love and they desire it. There are going to be people that are affected because they had that kind of love and they lost it. So there's all there's so many different angles that you can play as an actor you just have to be truthful to, honest yeah man honesty is the key always and you know this i guarantee you know this because the best comedians know how to have honesty in their comedy it's not always yeah. not always a true story but there's based li- in there's pieces yes. of truth enough that hooks people yeah. in well i hope i convey that on stage for me for, for sure me. i hope i do um yeah, let me get back to something a long time ago yeah so you grew up in a tiny town yeah What's it like trying to be the dude who wants to be an actor? How many times does someone go, the fucking gay guy, because he, yeah, for he sure. wants to be an actor? I that- guarantee you that's been said about me at least once <laughs> from somebody back home. <laughs> I don't know. He's doing that gay musical theater. <laughs> at least one person. Yo, at least one? At least one. But, you know, I have to say, like, I, 
I love my hometown and the people that I still keep in touch with there are like incredibly supportive. Yeah. I mean, they look at it as just like, man, you have like done something and congratulate, you know, there's like, I don't get a lot of animosity to my face. Yeah. I'm sure there are some people, you know, I went to high school with that and maybe they don't like me in high school, still don't like me and think, you know, I can't believe he's getting this yeah. or whatever. Um, and then there's like a, I think there's a whole nother subset of people who think that I'm just like, uh, you know, rich and just like, oh yeah, just like spending the money, and they don't realize that you know, like oh, think, between jobs, I'm like dying. Like, people, am think, I gonna have to go on unemployment oh, this month? <laughs> people think that because you were on TV, oh yeah, you're million, you're, millionaire. People, somebody, I, I've said this before. People are like, are you living off that Chelsea lately money? Yeah, I made four hundred dollars <laughs> in appearance before taxes, <laughs> manager, agent, lawyer. So yeah. take out sixty percent of that four hundred dollars. Yeah, it's a good living. Don't get me yes. wrong. Uh, but not in California, not in Los Angeles. No, if I was making this kind of money in Kentucky. I'd be, I feel I'd be fucking be living high right. on the yeah. hog. Are you kidding me I'd right just now? Wear like a Colonel Sanders outfit all the time. Just sit out on my porch drinking lemonade. <laughs> 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 what do you think you would be doing if you weren't doing this? Ah, uh, well, let me uh, let me ask you another question. I, yeah, I think I would have been a teacher. Me too. By yeah. the way, me too. Yeah. Uh, uh, but for me, it would have been like a coach. I consider that to be a teacher, by the way. Yeah, okay. Yeah, fair enough. I, I would have been. I, I, I've, I can honestly tell you the most, and we're here at the park where my kids played sports. I can honestly tell you that this, these fields, not in a competitive way, in a, in a pure joy way, were top five happiest moments of my life. I can see that. There's such a, you know, when all these fields are filled with kids playing baseball, and people are just here having a good time. And they're, you know, I, I told you earlier, I, I never drafted my team for kids. I drafted them for the parents. Right. I didn't want any assholes. We were going to have a good time. And there was just something so much, you know, there was a, a little kid who I remember. My favorite experience here is not that there was one kid, Benny, who used to show up in his tutu. And his dad wouldn't give up the dream. And he was like, what is wrong just, with him? What? Uh, and he was like, Benny, pick. And he, Benny would throw his glove around and shit. Right. And pick flowers. And he was like, what's wrong with him? What uh, is it? I was like, it, Benny, you know, his glove's not on his hand. And I was like, no, he's mad because his shoes don't match his belt. Would you take him off the baseball team, please? He doesn't want to be here. He's going to learn how to be a boy. I'm right, like, he right, doesn't right. have to. He And I would ask him, Benny, what do you want to do? He was like, can I just stand over here and dance? I'm like, yes. Yeah, absolutely. You want to stand over here and dance, man? So when the ki the kids were hitting, he was like a cheerleader. He would dance on the side. He would be like, single, single, get a single. It was amazing. We loved Benny. His dad was the biggest douche face <laughs> in the entire world. But um, I know I, some Benny dads. Yeah, I had so much fun out here. You know what I think it is, man, honestly? You know what I think it is about kids under a certain age? It is, for me anyways, there's... There's pure joy in people under a certain age. Yeah. There's haven't been jaded yet. That's why a, there's a, no cynicism at all. That's why a two-year-old's laughter. When you hear that laughter, there isn't a hint of anything but joy in that sound. And so when kids are out here playing, and and people are doing it the right way, it there's something about that pure joy. And when the whole park is feeling it, you know, we were talking about you were saying you were a universalist. Yeah. So I believe in energy. I believe in good energy, much like I believe in bad energy. Yeah, for sure. If you walk into a room where everybody's angry, you can kind of feel that when you walk in. And if you walk into a room where everybody's happy, 
you can feel that it's just like if you've ever been somewhere where there's been a great performance or a great speech or a great national anthem even where everybody's feeling that at once you can feel that's the energy right yeah. and so even something simple like this when they would come to that park and everybody was doing it the right way and there are no asshole parents and people were having fun there was such a a feeling of joy here and I used to that's why like I I, I, I would tell Beth like <clears throat> I'm only stopping this coaching shit when I have to yeah because it was for me especially in the business we're in yeah can be brutal we're listen you know today I told you I was at a meeting and you guys know that I've been trying to get a show with Jacob and I on kind of a travel show where he and I go around together father and son but it's where I show his generation that where hard work is like you know you know i told him i used to lay cement you know he told me it seems like a you problem (laughs) (laughs) millennials but so this i don't know i and i was sitting down with a guy and me and this dude who were pitching it together he said hey um just so you know the network we were going to pitch it to i'm not going to give any specifics they bought the show just like that that we were trying to sell before we could even get into the room because we had been told by some of some other people. Nobody's looking for that. Nobody's gonna do that. Oh, motherfuckers. That's how it goes. I literally just wrote a pilot, which was like basically. So did I. We should switch and give each other notes. Yeah, we should. You know, but, I used to write on TV shows. Yeah, I do know that actually. Yeah. So I wrote this pilot for you. For me, uh, about a guy uh, who. You know, it was loosely based on me, but this guy had been married for many years. Were you ever married? No, never been married. Okay. in a couple of long relationships, but... Uh, You're in a long relationship now. Yeah, two years. Two years. Uh, the guy gets out of his, like, marriage. They have a divorce, and then he sort of is faced with, like, dating in this digital age, right? Mm-hmm. That was the whole premise of the pilot. And... Uh, it was going to be about, you know, like his next five years, like yeah. what the neg because everybody has a five year plan or whatever. So I write this pilot, whatever, getting ready, getting it all finished up. I get an appointment like last week. It's basically the pilot that I've written, like basically. Down, oh, you mean you got an audition for got a an pilot. audition for someone else's pilot, which is basically the idea that I had been working on for the past six months. And I was like, oh, God, like. There's no, and you just know at that moment, you're like, well, this one is already picked up to be produced. Mine's not going to get produced. Not true. Uh, I can tell you this. It's so damn close, man. I know. If it doesn't get on. And, and to be fair, yeah. theirs is much better. Oh, okay. Then fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much better. You know? Fuck it. Fuck I was it. like, God, those guys are really funny, man. This what is do gonna- you think your, okay, what do you, as a performer, or do you consider yourself a performer? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I do a lot. I have, I I'm a musician, a singer, actor, yeah. Okay, as, as an entertainer, tell me what you think your biggest strength is and tell me what you think you were like, mm, I wish I had a little more of this. Oh, I think my biggest strength is probably music. Like, if you give me a guitar... Performing it yeah, too? Yeah, if you give me a guitar and a microphone, I'm like at the, at the most at ease that I will ever be as a performer, as an entertainer. I wonder why that is. I don't know. I don't know if it's just that it's what I've been doing the longest. I mean, I've been playing guitar since I was 13. Um, so, what, 27 years now? Um, I've been singing since I was, you know, six, as far back as I can remember. I think I sang before I spoke as a child. But, you know, I never really knew how to put that towards a career until much later. But I think maybe it's just because it's what I'm most comfortable at. Yeah. Uh, 
but the thing that I wish I was better at is writing because I have a lot of good ideas and then when I try to go to get them on a page I sometimes struggle with just getting the things out the way I want um you know I've written a couple of pilots one I thought was really good I got the same sort of thing you know like took it around like even to my like management agents those people they were just kind of like eh it's a little specific you know and I was like well yeah that's what we wanted to be by the way specific specific, is good (laughs) but it's you know it's it takes place it's about a an actor who can't find work in LA because like all these Brits and Aussies and everything are taking all the work and I love that he pretends to be a Brit and he ends up getting cast and like what happens from that yeah you know thing um do you know there was a guy who used to call into my old podcast who thought blind people were faking it so well Stevie Wonder is I know people think that (laughs) and so uh, he was like you know I'm gonna I go well pretend to be blind and see if whatever and he he pretended to be blind one day and he met this girl who said it was way better looking than anybody who had ever went out with him but she asked him on a date and he said yes and I go you know you're gonna have to be blind for however long this uh, relationship happens and he was like i'm willing to be right? blind so there's consequences yeah, yeah. to these actions <laughs> yeah. right yeah 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 but that's the thing i wish i was better at is because i do feel like i have some really good original ideas in my head but i just can't get them can i tell you a page you know a very good friend of mine who was also on this podcast a guy named greg garcia who wrote my name is earl and yeah, love him. Right. okay he actually wrote a broadway show um for buffett yeah it's, yeah he's He's a genius. The script is, I mean, I'm telling you, I love Jimmy Buffett. Yeah. Big Jimmy Buffett fan. The script is incredible. Him and Michael Malley wrote it, and I'm very excited to see what they do with it. I think it's actually coming to La Jolla yeah. in the fall. Garcia so is, anything he touches is going to happen. Yeah. Dude is, but he would tell you, you know, obviously not everyone's going to be a great writer, but writing is that one thing, you know, my guy who taught me how to write, my writing class. He was like, look, your first 15 scripts are going to suck, so just start writing. He said, and everybody in every class I've ever taken, like, writing is a different skill. It's not singing. It's not hitting a baseball. Yeah. You're, you're basically born that good. And yeah. you can get a little better, but, you know, nobody's going to teach you how to sing like Stevie Wonder. That's what I always say. You can, either, you can either do it or you can't. You can always learn how to get better. Yes. Um, writing is different, man. Writing, you can really teach yourself by reading... If you go, okay, this is the type of thing I would like to write. You get that whole series and you read scripts. You read and read and read and be like, oh, okay. And use that as your Bible. And th- I'm telling you, because you're a smart dude and you're intuitive, writing is something that you can learn, especially when you get uh, structure and story down. You know, Beth, my wife, mm-hmm. you know, she just directed a movie in Atlanta all summer. Yeah. And um, she has an innate ability to, and I would tell you, this is what her natural skill is. Her natural skill is that within the first five pages, you care about who you're reading. Right. To me, that's a skill I don't have. But to, when I read a script, I'm like, you never, you never read 10 pages of a script and put it down because you're hooked. That's like a, a skill that's invaluable. But she would tell you as far as structure and learning where to cut shit and all that stuff and that is what made her sell scripts and that just came from writing 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 yeah do you know what i mean and believe me i have a lot of free time yeah that's the thing i do as well i just i'm not very i guess that's the thing i'd like to be more productive with my free time than just sort of sitting around waiting for a job 
I try to do so, and this is what I have Jacob on the schedule too. Like, I write a list of five things every day that I'm going to do for my career. Not the same five things, but I make sure in I in that day. I make sure I do five things a day for my career. Oh, that's now, actually really good. And I write it down and I check them off. Now, one of them might be call your agent and ask why, blah, blah, blah. But to me, we're talking about energy, right? Mm. That means five times a day I'm putting my career out there in, right, a, positive, you're proactive, yeah. in a positive energy. Yeah. I'm putting that out there. Yeah. And to me, when I do that, and sometimes, listen, like everybody else, man, and I would be lying to you if I told you in this past year, especially for me, you know, self-doubt has crept in more for me in the past year, even though I would tell you as a comedian, I'm better than I've ever been. Um, and I know that to be true because, you know, like that story you saw the other night at the Laugh Factory, done it a couple times, but I could already start to feel what worked and what didn't work and what I needed to say. And like, I'm like, oh, I'm getting better at this. Right. But in the, in the past year, man, I've had some some more crippling rejection than I'd ever had. Likewise. Yes. Yeah. And so, but, but what I found is, is that five things a day and I've really latched onto it more in the last three or four months, just cause I'm like, I can't let this town beat me. Mm. Like there, that's not going to happen. And in the past three or four months, things have really shifted because if we do believe in energy, right. Mm. And I know this sounds hippy dippy and all the shit people are listening but it's it's positive shit I'm putting out there. Tell me something good. That's why I like. Dude, it's that like. The, but you know what? It's like this. If I yell at you, you're going to feel something about that, right? Yes. So that's me putting negative, you can call it whatever, intention, energy towards you. You're going to absorb that, and it will affect you, probably in a negative way. Yes. It's just simple. Like it's simple science. Again, for all those people. Yeah. I believe in science. But even little things. <laughs> all the even little things, man. You know, you ever get a text from somebody? You haven't heard from who's just checking in on you? No. You? Okay. <laughs> Never. Actually, that's not true. No, I actually, I, I do. Yeah, yeah I, I get them occasionally. But you're like, well, that's fucking nice. Yeah, it is nice. Think about how, so I consider that to be positive energy that I'm putting out. All that stuff, man, to me, comes back. Hmm. Like, I would challenge you for four months, do those five things a day. I'll do it. And yeah, tell me, not? like, just, just just to fucking see. And have one of the things be, like, for an hour. And writing is a real bitch. Because sometimes you write, you sit down, and you go, nothing. I got nothing. And what my teacher would say, type nothing for an hour if you need to. Get your fingers moving. Yeah. Even if you free flow for an hour. Even whatever. Because yeah. you, know, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's the hard part for me is, like, just sitting down and making myself do it. The guy from... Uh, you know that guy, uh, he was one of the creators, I believe, of Billions, that show on Showtime? He had a series of tweets today, which I actually thought were really sort of good advice uh, and also a good story for people. Because I oftentimes, you know, I think people look at you and I, people like us, uh, who are working in the industry that yep. we are happy to be. You know, we wanted to work yeah. in. I wanted to be on TV. Me too. I've been on TV. You wanted to do comedy. You're doing comedy. Yep. Like. It's we've been successful, but because we have drive and passion, we want more. Yeah. We want to keep going. So this guy, uh, he wrote today, uh, which I thought was, like I said, just very sort of interesting for people to understand is like even at the top of the business, sometimes you feel like 
you're a little sort of out of it. So he posted a picture of himself um, from the premiere of that movie Runner Runner. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was Timberlake and Ben mm-hmm. Affleck. He said this picture was from three years ago last night, uh, and it's him looking like he's got a very sour look on his face. He's like, note the miserable expression on my face, despite the fact that I'm with some, someone, that, one of his favorite people. Uh, I knew the film was a disaster, and I hated the experience of making it because of massive creative disagreements on set. I also knew it would get killed by critics and it would flop, and I seriously wondered if I would ever get to make anything ever again. That month, Dave and I also got fired from working on a high-profile HBO show before we even wrote a word of the script. I was pretty depressed, lowest point of my professional life, and I figured it would be almost impossible to restart. But then, we committed to writing our next thing on spec and began working on an idea we loved. That script was the pilot of Billions. We worked every day obsessively on it and uh, and tuned out the rest of the world. If you saw my journal pages from then, you'd see someone swinging from despair to hope as we wrote. In the end, the writing can save you. You just have to do it every day, despite whatever else is happening in the world around you and whatever perception you have of your place. Yeah. Like, that's a dude who most people would look at and be like, oh. What's your fucking problem? You're at the top of your industry. Yeah, what's the fucking problem? But like, but everybody. Yeah, it's a creative passion yeah. to want to always be doing better and better work. But you know what else is funny? In this business especially. You ask, you pull any fucking ass fuck off of Hollywood Boulevard and you got, you got a story, you got a movie idea? I got the fucking best movie oh, idea. Oh, yeah. Everybody <laughs> in this town thinks they got, well, I my, I got a fucking movie idea. Nobody wants to make it. Right. Well, is it the talking dog one? Yeah, of course, but this a fucking, this talking dog flies. You know, but everybody's <laughs> got like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's my favorite part. You know, my chiropractor, every time I go in, and yes, I go to a chiropractor, he's like, right before he's about to crack my neck, he's like, Working on a new script. This <laughs> fucking crack my neck. Would you please? It's so cliche, man, but it's so true. It, it is like the truest thing about Los Angeles. My Uber driver. Oh yeah. Who lives in my neighborhood? Okay. So the first of all, you know, started in the back seat. Armin, everybody, and then he was like, you know, afterwards he was like, I think I recognize you. You in TV? And I was like, no. And he's like, no, I think you are in TV. <laughs> Right? And I go, he goes, come sit up front. And I go, oh, God. okay. So I come sit up front. So next time I get in the car, he's got the box set of all the Friends seasons. And he goes, pick out season four. And I go, okay. And I pick out the box set. He goes, I can tell you everything that happened in every episode. I'm like, all right. And he goes, I have a great memory for TV shows. I'm like, really? He was like, I'm going to write a script about that. And I'm like, okay. So as the months went on, and I go to the airport Every weekend. Yeah. And instead of calling Uber a lot of times, Armin lives down the street. And right. So, and he would give me updates on the script. I'm like, what's happening? Well, and he was like, right now I'm in the part of the script where he's talking about season seven. I'm like, <laughs> my God. Literally, like, yeah. he talks about friends. But, but, but the thing is, like, point of that is, is that if something is important to you, you just assume, well, everybody wants to fucking hear about this. Right. Well, yeah, he Everyone wants to hear about Armin, the fucking Uber driver who loves friends. But I did tell him when he was done, I was like, you got to send me that script. <laughs> oh, for sure. Like, I'm, I'm, for I, sure I need I'm, to read that yeah, script. Yeah, because I'm like, what is, like, I'm like, what does your character do? He's like, oh, there's so many things that happen during the script, buddy. But it always goes back. The problems always get solved by things that were solved in Friends. Oh, my God. So he remembers how people solved things in Friends, and that's how he solves things in real life. 
Actually, I've thought about it. I know. It's <laughs> <laughs> just crazy enough to work. Well, listen, I mean, oh, there you man. think about some of the shows that get on TV. You're like, what's. Like, for example, you look at. And I hate to badmouth any show I haven't seen yet. Yeah. But the new MacGyver. Right. I look at that. I'm like, first of all, the the billboards look super stupid. But the you're not going to comment. <laughs> I'm not saying anything just yet. But the actual clips, I'm like, this. First of all, the kid looks 18. Yeah, he looks pretty young, Lucas Till. Good actor. Yeah, whatever. Good actor. But are there no more original ideas? Well, look, this is the problem, I think, with what's happening without Don't we have, direct- my Uber's got a great, guy's got a great script. They right. don't want to do that one? Right, but the thirst right now, that's what the kids all say. Oh, thirst? thirsty. You're thirsty. Oh, she thirsty. Uh, she thirsty. Um, the thirst right now is for nostalgia, right? It's this weird world we're living in. We were talking a little bit before we started this about, you know, let's make America great again. Like, let's go back to this time. You know, let's go back to this time. Let's do this time. Oh, let's go. I want to go back to this. Oh, you remember this? Remember that? Remember this? And so we're sort of like locked in this world of like nostalgia. Right. Almost to the point uh, last night in the opening of the Emmys, you know, Jimmy Kimmel did this cool little bit and it was a lot of funny stuff. But at one point they just had the A-Team van drive by. And I thought to myself, like, first of all, how many people actually know the A-Team van? Right. But like I knew it. And I got super excited. I was like, oh, A-Team van. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> is B.A. Baracus coming oh, out of oh it? Right? Yeah. So, like, we do live in this world, I think, where people want, like, nostalgia. They, they have this sense of, like, wanting to go back and, like, relive a moment in time. It's unfortunate because then something like Breaking Bad comes along, which is so original. Yeah. And so interesting. Come on. That it, sh- it shifts the paradigm a little bit and everybody goes like, oh. But the problem in our industry is everybody goes, well, let's make the next Breaking Bad. Yes. You know, what do you got that's got drugs in it? Yeah. How many more vampire movies can we do? <laughs> right, exactly. I um, will tell you, by the way, do you watch Walking Dead or Fear the Walking Dead? I watch Walking Dead, yeah. You haven't got into Fear the Walking Dead? I haven't got into that yet. Oh, there's a got yo- so much TV. There's a young kid on that show. What I love about those shows, in Breaking Bad too, is they allowed all the characters to change. Yeah. For, for the actors on those shows, it must be like, because you're not doing an episodic you're not on CSI, and by the way, if, if I was on CSI, I would have loved to have been on a show that ran forever and played the same. Making that kind of money? Yes. Are you kidding me? But <laughs> but you also have to say the same, play the same person all the time. Yeah. You know, my cousin is Scott Wolf. Oh, yeah. And so Scott, <clears throat> well, on Party of Five, he got to change. Mm-hmm. But he said on most of the shows he does, the challenge is playing the same person. And I know he's like, I know it's fucking acting problems and nobody wants to hear it. But you'd like to be challenged when you wake up and you go to work. The The thing about Walking sure. Dead and all these things is they do challenge you because you allow Breaking Bad, the characters get to have arcs and change and all that shit. But I think those shows people see as risky and people do their jobs out of fear out here. But the truth is they also have the biggest reward. MacGyver, there isn't going to be the high... MacGyver's never going to be a 10. No, but it's going to make a ton of money. Uh, it's going to get a lot. I mean, look, you know, NCIS, a show that I did before, and my mother's favorite show. I know. She I just loved talked NCIS, to Polly Perrette. Right? So she loved that show. Loved it. Yeah. Middle America loves that show. 
I mean, I'm sure people in Los Angeles and New York love that show. I've never seen a minute of it's that show. It's probably never going to win like all the awards, but it makes a ton of money yep. and people love it. So it's entertainment. So I'm not a judgmental person in the sense that I'm like, oh, you can't have this. You know, this is crap. Let's get it off the TV. There's a market for, for everybody. The great thing about the world we live in today is that there's so many options for things. Yeah. And, you know, you get something you can go Just watch. Just look at you porn alone. I mean, please. <laughs> the difference between, what's the other one? Uh, X, Which no, one? Hamster. X-Tube? X-Tube, Red yeah. Tube. X-Hamster? I got a bunch of them. Big know. Naturals? <laughs> Well, Big Naturals, that's my go-to of my joke. Big Naturals is not really my website. Um, Oh, no? Nah, I don't Can I tell you, I looked on Jacob's website on his- Oh, God, his search history? His search history once, and he was on (laughs) (laughs) roundandbrown.com. And I was like, that a boy. Fair enough. Yeah, why not? A little dabbling into a little bit of everything. (laughs) little (laughs) roundandbrown.com. Jesus. Roundandbrown.com, good for him. I mean, listen, you know, there are worse things he could have been Googling, for sure. I, You know what? I've never had a hang-up with him seeing tits or hearing dirty humor. I always shied away from violence. I, I was like, I don't need that images in his head. But if he saw a tit when he was 13... Oh, was I love like, your joke about him seeing the boob. It's oh, yeah. so good. I don't know. I don't want to ruin it because people may come and see you do comedy someday. But it just just from me to you, I love that joke. You like it's that good. joke? Yeah, it's good. Okay. I had, there's, a, there's so many Jacob jokes that I have. And he only, does, he only dislikes one of them. Which one is the one he doesn't like? He dislikes the one about the dick pics. Oh, <laughs> right. Do you know why? Cause it's it, the only one that's 100% true. Right. He's like, you're putting my shit out there. And I was like, yeah, but the audience doesn't know that. So he was like, yeah, but I do. Right, right, right. He's like, every other one, I'm like, that's not really me. Nah, that's not really me. I'm like, yeah, but it is, dude. It's really you. <laughs> I mean, all those stories are are based in truth and him in truth. Now, obviously, you could add punchline here and there. But yeah. but um, that other story is 100%. How you doing? 100% true. Yeah. And he's like, no, I don't fucking like that. No, oh, like that's. I also love your voice for Jacob. I, oh, it's you know <laughs> what I mean. This is what it is. So good. <laughs> so good. It's pretty much every teenage boy sounds yeah, a little he's bit like, like super this. confident about everything. Yeah, yeah. You don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I play basketball with a lot of very younger guys than myself, and it's all the same stuff. You know, it's just like, hey, bro, what's up, man? How's it going, man? Yeah, yeah, cool. You know, I'm just like working this week and got all this other stuff you play going on. Yeah, man. Like Do four you? or five days a week. Now, not so much anymore because I keep getting hurt. I'm getting older. I hear that. Has anyone ever asked you? I'm sure somebody's asked you this in this town before. You know Josh Hopkins from Kentucky? Yeah. No. I mean, I know who he is, but I don't know him. Know him? You don't know Hop because you guys. Does he play basketball? A lot. I know Josh Hutcherson. And you don't look dissimilar. You and basketball a lot. Has anyone ever told you? You don't look. I've definitely seen him on a call sheet or two. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we've ever been in the same room together. Kinda. You could like when you were walking up, honestly, from behind. I would look, glance. I was like, oh, that's Hop. And I was like, oh no, that's not. I'm gonna have to remove him from this world then because I can't be having that kind of competition, Josh. It's hard enough as it is. I know where he lives. All right, let's go get him. He's actually a buddy of mine. He's a good dude. He's probably a nice guy. He's Hop's one of the. It's the hardest thing, man. It happens all the time. You'll be in an audition room, you know, and you. See a guy who's like your competition, and you fucking psyching yourself up. You know, you're like, I fucking got this guy. Oh, what did you do? And yeah. I, saw, I saw you on, uh, you know, what I saw you on uh, American Horror Story. Yeah, I got you. Whatever. And then like they'll come over and be like, Hey man, you on Shameless? And you're like, Yeah. yeah. And they're like, I love you on that thing. And you're like, Oh yeah, man, I love you too. <laughs> you're great. You're great. I love you because that's what you want to say the whole yeah. time, right? Yeah, you're yeah, like yeah. psyching yourself up because it's like such a weird competition. The thing. audition room is 
such the a, waiting room or the actual room both both are fucking are mind nightmare fucks. yeah mind fucks yeah do you know i had an audition once where the guy goes go ahead and he was doing emails <laughs> he was returning emails <laughs> yeah and i would say a line and then he'd be typing and be like oh, i'm sorry yeah i'm here and uh, he would go back to typing uh, and i actually stopped and i go am i bothering you and he goes what I go, I'm sorry, am I bothering you? Like, Do you have something else to be doing? Yeah, I go, if you're too busy for me to be here. He goes, no, 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 I just go, this isn't important. I go, yeah, but this is my life. Yeah. I said, so I'm happy to come back. And he was like, no, no, I'll do it here. I go, no, no, I'm coming back. No, he never had me back. But I fucking am straight out of there. I couldn't yeah. do it, dude. Like, in the audition process is so brutal as it is. Well, now it's like all self-tape. Like, do it at home. Hey, you mind Do you like that more? No, I hate it. I hate it. I just, I want to be in the room with people. Yeah. I like being in front of people. I like, maybe it's the theater actor in me, but I like being in the performance because I feel what I'm doing, if it's right or wrong. It's like, I'm probably sort of like stand up, right? You're, mm-hmm. You sort of get a sense of like what you're doing. How's the audience reading this? Reading my read. Yeah, and I feel like I'm good enough to adapt in the moment. Whereas if I'm just sitting in front of a camera in my in my in my living room, I just overthink everything, you know? And yeah. Like, well, let's get the right take. Let's do it one more time, and let me just watch the take and make sure it's perfect, and I just freak out too much. So I just prefer going in, but it's really becoming the sort of way. We need to think of, if you feel most comfortable with a guitar, you and I need to put our heads together and think of what you can do with the guitar. Because now, based, dude, now... There's so many things that you can just... Fuck it, I'm going to do something myself. Right. I have a production company. I mean, but what can... Let's think... We'll think about that. <laughs> and if you guys... You know, that right now, the... send. What's the email? My email for this podcast? The Oh, you know, we've already been here for an hour and a half. Oh, man. They're gonna that be happens bored. quick, buddy. They're going to be bored. Uh, um, they're not going to be bored. You, 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 I mean, I'll tell you something else, man. I... I think where is the uh, I think you don't oh guys the fairly normal podcast at gmail.com the fairly normal podcast at gmail.com if you have any um ideas for Steve Gazee what he can do with his guitar I did have an idea the other night when we were talking about doing this podcast and I started thinking about like how tough it is to be a stand up and like all the travel uh, you have to do you know Dan uh, Dan St. Germain Oh yeah All right so he and I uh do a podcast uh, about wrestling uh we're we co-host uh so he'll be in one week i'll be in like a couple weeks later yeah we have a little bit of a you're a big wrestling guy i'm a huge wrestling guy so we have a little bit of like a uh a, a feud going on about yeah. who's the better co-host and we've been sort of smack talking each other online all in fun but uh you know i keep trying to figure out ways to like bust his balls about being a stand-up because uh, this is a hard job in my opinion i would you know the travel alone and like being in front of people and like having to go through that sort of like good crowd bad crowd but i was thinking one of my biggest fears is seeing a comedian bring a guitar out uh, it's like my biggest like one of my biggest fears but you brought a guitar out once oh yeah and i liked it but i thought wow i would have i just be a stand-up who just bring a guitar out but never play it. I do that sometimes. Oh, and just never say anything? Never it's even, I never even mention it. Oh, uh, see? I, I love And it. I just lean it up against the wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, it's and just I said, like the unknown yeah, of like, is I, he gonna? I said goodnight and I picked up the guitar and walked so outside. Everybody's like, like, what oh, the fuck? Okay, great. <laughs> yeah, what was it? Now, wrestling? Yeah, man. Okay. I mean, I can't believe we're just now on this. We're like running long, but. Okay, we're gonna go five minutes with this. Okay. Wrestling. Yeah. 
You and, and I know you're an intelligent dude, and you understand that it's entertainment for sure. What is it that is that you think? Why it's such a phenomenon? I because you know there's, I look at it and I can look at it objectively, and I I don't get it, mm-hmm. and I don't get it only because, I, I guess I just I'm like oh, I, it's uh, because I I'm not invested maybe in the storylines, and I do think, like he's a genius. Vince McMahon is a fucking billionaire genius yeah for sure what do you think why do you think people get so invested in it what do you think it is that hooks some people so hard well i you know it is uh having spent a lot of time around the wrestling world and the community itself it goes back to what i was saying earlier about storytelling like it's all about storytelling and that's not just like by the way because freddie prince jr was on here with me hmm. and he's a huge you know huge yeah he is a fucking huge wwe guy so listen there's more than the story that's just being told in the script or the backstage edits. And 90% of them are horrible actors. It's not right. about the acting. It's the, it's the story that they tell in the ring through a performance, a choreographed fight. Yeah. Right? And there is something so pure and simple about a two count that gets people emotional when you want your guy to win. And when that and arm's up for the third one. One, two, Oh, kick out. <laughs> right? It's like basic comedy. Yeah. One, two, three. Like yeah. it's that kind of thing, right? One, two, hit him with the punch. Boom. Move on. And when they do it right, man, when they do it right, and you've got 110,000 people like we had at WrestleMania in Dallas. And everyone goes, one, two, two kick oh. out. And the whole, oh, God. Or like, you know, Shane McMahon jumped off a 40 foot cage and went through a table. You know, like. That's pretty, that's like by the way, that shit is amazing. Old, to me. Yeah. Right? Um, so it's that on a lot of levels. It's also just I, wrestling fans get a really bad reputation for being dumb. Like uh, Colin Colin Coward always calls them booger eaters, mm. you know, which is, you know, I mean, look who's talking kind of thing. But he will really get on wrestling fans. A lot of people get on wrestling fans for being stupid. But when you go to a wrestling show, it is one of the most inclusive and loving and wonderful Everybody's having a good time huh? you've ever been around. They don't care if a wrestler's gay. They don't care if a wrestler's black. They don't care if it's a woman. They don't care if it's this. They don't care if it's that. But the w- women are taking off. Women are taking off huge right now. And, like, in some places, like Lucha Underground, the women and men wrestle each other. Like, there's no sort of, like, oh, well, you can't wrestle a woman because that might look weird. Right. The WWE still has to follow, I think, some corporate guidelines because, you know, you're going to get people writing letters. Why'd that man hit that woman? But right. I'm all for, you know, equal gender wrestling. Like, it's it's all performance. It's athletic ballet at the end of the day. And these people work their asses off. And they, there's a lot of pride in it today. It's not what it was in the 70s of just, like, you know, big sweaty dudes, like, smacking yeah, each other yeah. around and, like, hokey storytelling. Like, these guys work hard. Although, Ric Flair. Oh, still loving it. I want you to give me, and then we'll get out of here. Okay. Top, your top five wrestlers of all time. Top five of all time? Yep. Uh, Andre the Giant. Has got to be on that list just because. Do you put him at cul- number one? Culturally, no. I wouldn't put him at number one. Your favorites. Not not, not like culturally. Though. I'm talking about. Oh, my personal you, favorites? Yes. Oh, okay. Um, let's see. And by the way. George you- the Animal Steel. Ooh, that's old school. He was one of my favorites. Like growing up as a kid, he was one of my favorites. Do any of your. T- I mean, we'll ask if any you think of any of your top five belong in the top five of all time. Okay. Uh, Ultimate Warrior. Yeah. Definitely. Yep. Um, Dusty Rhodes. Mm hmm. What is that? Three, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, mm-hmm. and The Rock. Okay. Yeah. Now I will tell you, I used to watch wrestling a lot. And if I had to do a sixth, yeah. Rowdy Roddy Piper. Okay, for sure. I go Macho Man. Okay, great. Rowdy Roddy Piper. Yeah. 
Ric Flair. Okay. You don't like Ric Flair. You like old school. I love Ric Flair. I love Ric Flair. Yeah. Yeah. Andre the Giant. Yeah. And I like John Cena. (laughs) You like John Cena? Yeah. I like how you had to whisper it, though. I like him. I I like John Cena. And I think I like John Cena the most because who he is outside of the ring. Yeah. And I know how many Make-A-Wish things he's done. 500 or something like that. Over 500. And so, and I also know how demanding his schedule is. And still, for him to still find time for that, to me, I put him on the top five of any list just for that reason alone. Yeah. I I don't know him personally, but everything I've heard about the dude is that he is just a fucking stand-up guy. I think, uh, yeah, I think that's a pretty, uh, that's a pretty accurate, from, from what I've heard, from I've never got a chance to meet him, I've never been around him, but from everything I've heard, he's just that guy. He's just that guy. He cares about what he's doing, he cares about the business, he cares about the personal side of it, and he wants to, like, always give back. You know what you and I should do? Now I'm thinking about it. We should write a, we should write a couple funny songs. All right, let's do it. Write a couple funny songs, and when you're not doing something on a weekend, you'll just... You should come with me one weekend. Oh God! And it <laughs> Don't won't be get me into stand up, Josh. No, 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 no. It won't be like a huge show. We'll just do it. It'll just be. And not only that, it'll just be a fucking fun weekend to smoke weed. All right. Well, hey, listen, you got me. In. Right. And we'll 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 look at it on the schedule. We'll write some songs, and then we'll fuck around, and then you'll come on stage. We'll do three songs, and then we'll just have a fucking high weekend. Yeah, I'm down with that. No worries. That doesn't sound terrible. No, it sounds great. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, we'll write them. We'll write them up. All right. And you'll have to keep me out of, you know, I. Farts are still funny to me. That's all right. Farts are good. Okay. Farts are funny. Yeah. I dare you to go into a room full of people in suits, have one person fart, and not see everybody laugh. Oh. Because it's on. the absurdity of like everyone trying to be all like Proper. awesome and then farting. Yeah, and then it's some brilliant. guy. That's yeah. why when my grand, I want to hit that age that my grandfather hit in the restaurant. Where he oh, just yeah. like fart in front of the waitress and the waitress walk away and I'd be like, Grandpa, what are you doing? He was like, listen, at my age, I can fart whenever I want. He yeah. goes, you'll love it when you get here. I'm like, <laughs> but then I asked him later, I go, let me ask you something. Are you farting wherever you want or you just can't stop the fart from coming out? And he was it's like, a little bit of both. Bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I only know because I'm goes, already there. He goes, be honest, it's a little, just a little bit of both. Yeah. He goes, it's really a, a struggle to hold it in. <laughs> so I, I just can't. I <laughs> Good, um, dude. This has flown by. Yeah, man. I'm so glad we finally got were to you, do this. Were you? Was it what you thought it was going to be? Uh, we got a little heavier than I thought we were going to get. You but know, that's but, all right. But you know, for me, I let the conversation go. Well, that's what I like. I like when it just sort of you don't come in with like a list of questions, and we're not going to like you know. It's like, oh, this is what we do every podcast. No, but you know, that's what I think is best about podcasts. It's what I love about this. Look, we started on. If you don't remember, the first thing I said was I dated a girl whose belly button oh, looked, looked like, like a cat's, cat's asshole. Ass. Yeah. And then, but then, listen, it, it, I would have been, I would have not been doing what I consider to be my job, which is taking, going with the conversation. When you mentioned that your mom passes, got to ask a question. Well, it's also been such a huge part of my life yeah. and my story that, you know, I I it, I would be remiss to not mention it as a part of like you know the the mileposts of my life. Do you know what we're gonna do? Next time when you come on, mm-hmm. and we'll have a next time sooner rather than later, because I feel like w- it'll just be a lighter. Yeah, for sure. We might even we can smoke talk some one. more wrestling. We'll smoke a joint. We'll get into some universe. You know what we shit. should do. We should smoke a joint, turn down the wrestling, and commentate it. Oh, 
That's a good call. I mean, that's a good call. It's not terrible because then we'll be characters. One of us has to be the ex manager who's now yeah. the announcer. Yeah. And one one guy. Bobby Vibrain Heenan, Gorilla Monsoon. Yeah. 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 For sure. And we'll we'll figure it out. Yeah. What do you Jim think? Ross, Jerry the King Lawler. You know. Yeah. I mean, whatever that means. <laughs> sure. Jim Ross. Shout out Jim Ross, one of the greatest in the business. By God. My, I, okay. That's all right. You won't get any of it. Hey, everybody. I don't understand anything he just said. Uh, at Josh Wolf Comedy on all the stuff. Comedian Josh Wolf for tour dates. At Steve Kazee. That's me. On all the stuff. Yeah, on all the stuff. Dude. Yeah, man. This was a good one. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. <laughs>